The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. Good morning. It is truly a pleasure to be here with you this morning. My name is Ben Markham. And uh, Pathways Church, it's great to be with you. And to those who are watching online, it's a, it's a privilege to get to share God's word with you. I, I come to you from uh, sunny Orlando, Florida. Yeah. And by sunny, what I mean is the actual surface of the sun. Uh, because it's, it's 90, 95 degrees there, and it feels like 105. So it was a pleasure to get off the plane in Appleton yesterday and walk out and experience air that lacked humidity. It was wonderful. I'm originally from Michigan. Um, I've been in Orlando for 13 years, and so I understand this weather. I felt it was like coming home. It was wonderful. And uh, so anyhow, I'm, I'm a pastor at Discovery Church in Orlando, Florida, where I serve as uh, the director or pastor of our adult ministries and, uh, and also one of our teaching pastors. And I had the privilege uh, about 13 years ago uh, to, to join staff, and one of the people that kind of interviewed me was your pastor, Adam. And so I met him in my interview process, and we served together uh, for a few years, and then uh, he he felt called to come up here to Appleton, to Pathways Church, where he's been doing a a great work ever since, and so it's been fun. Adam treated me good. He took me to George's last night. You familiar? I got to be a part of a Wisconsin tradition known as Supper Club. Yeah, I've I've never been to a supper club. I, I... and then while we're there, she said, do you want salad? And I, I looked at the salad menu and I said, what is hot bacon? There's a salad called hot bacon salad and it changed my life. I'll never be the same. It was incredible. So now it's been, it's been really great to reconnect with Adam. Uh, we just had a rich time yesterday telling old stories and uh, sharing our hearts. And it was, it's been a blast to be here. So Adam, thank you for inviting me. Uh, very, very much appreciate it. Um, just so you know, I, I've, I am married and got two boys uh, that I love, and this is my lovely wife, April. We've been married 22 years now, uh, which is awesome. And uh, uh, to her right or your left is my son, Malachi. He's a senior in high school this year, wants to be a pastor. And, uh, and then over uh, next to me is my son, Max. He's, uh, he's one of the smartest kids I know. I mean, he just, like, he just he learns like, like some people ride the bike. He's a crazy smart. I call him RP. You know what that means? Retirement plan. So my hope is that someday he will invent something or develop some job that helps his, his mom and I to retire. Well, I'm excited to be here to intro this series, When in Rome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Just so you know a little bit about me, like um, I love it when a message is conversational. I, don't, I, I like hearing amens and praise the Lord's and, and all that. Matter of fact, I, I grew up as, um, my dad is a, a Pentecostal preacher, and uh, we had very lively services growing up, and there was this one really funny, energetic woman that would come to our church, a black woman, we loved her, and she would sit near my brother and I, or we would try to sit near her, because at some point during the service, she, if she liked something she heard, she'd just say, hit him on the head, pastor. Hit him on the head. And like my brother and I just waited for that moment, because we knew when she said hit him on the head, we're like, that's church. Church is happening. So if I get a few hit him on the heads, we'll have a good time this morning, all right? Um, so 
When in Rome is the name of the series we're beginning out of the book of Romans. Specifically, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, and we're trying to answer this question, how do we live and follow the Holy Spirit in our Rome today? Because Paul's going to give us some direction on that. Uh, the, The phrase, when in Rome, comes from the more extended phrase that when in Rome, do as the Romans do. See, you're interacting. I appreciate that. Do as the Romans do. Now, the concept was is that whoever you're around, just fit in. Be like them. And tends to ignore what's going on in the side of you for the sake of what's going on around you. We know that God hasn't called us to that. He's not called us to be people that just fit in. He's called us to be people who follow him. And so we're going to see that. Now, to get there, though, I thought we, we really need to understand uh, what was Rome like? What was it like to be a Roman? Because the people receiving this letter were, were Gentiles and Jewish believers in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. So I'm going to try to answer that question for you briefly. What was Rome like? And then look at how do we live differently? How do we live life in the Spirit in our Rome today? So there's a few things you got to understand. That around 336 BC, Alexander the Great comes onto the scene. And over the course of the next 13 years, he dominates the world. And one of the things that he believed in in his path of domination was that Greek culture should be everywhere. There had never really been someone like this before. He wanted Greek culture everywhere. He wanted the whole world to speak Greek. He wanted them to serve Greek gods. And so he'd even created this thing called syncretism where he, he mixed the, the, gods of the, the Greek gods with the gods of the people that he would uh, take over. And so uh, now fast forward uh, about 200 years, 150, 200 years, and Rome becomes the world power. Now, Rome loved what Alexander the Great did. They spoke Greek. When they were in a different country, they said, we're going to copy and paste everything he tried to do to shape culture. And so we're going to shape our culture the same way that Alexander tried to shape his culture. And so there's five ways that he tried to shape culture, five pillars, if you will, of Roman life. And so I want to give you those. These are, this was the strategy that they took to, to change and shape the world in the, in the image of Rome or in the image of Greece. All right, so the first one is language. They said the whole world's going to speak Greek. And there's a reason why the New Testament, its original language, is Greek. All right, and so it has to be translated from Greek because Greek was the language all over the world. And so they had phrases that they would use. Matter of fact, when two Romans would come up to each other, it would be a common thing for them to greet each other by saying, Caesar is Lord. So they'd walk up, Caesar is Lord. And the other person would would say, Caesar is Lord. Not unlike what we saw in in Nazi Germany where Germans would uh, greet each other with Heil Hitler. That was not a new thing. They were copying that from from the Romans. But what did the Christians start to do? Because, Because language matters so much, and it's important. They said, what if we brought our own take to this? And so Christians started to greet each other. Instead of saying, Caesar's Lord, they would say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And, and, and they would return that to one another. And we know that the Christians eventually, um, uh, eventually outlast Rome. We know that they shape Rome and change Rome over time. And we're going to see a little bit how they do that today. But language was a big deal because language creates cultures. Words make worlds. We see this today in the way that new words are just suddenly invented all the time. Words that didn't exist a few years ago now suddenly exist for us now, and we hear them, and they're spoken as if they've just always been there. And so I'm not surprised any day I turn on the news and I hear a new word, a new definition, a new idea that is being pushed, I think mostly by the enemy, (laughs) to try to define some part of our culture. Why? Because language 
creates culture. When you start to accept the language, you accept the culture. All right, so education is the second area. Uh, we see these philosophers of Socrates and uh, Plato and Aristotle. As a matter of fact, Aristotle was the actual uh, Greek philosopher that mentored Alexander the Great. I think we have a, a picture of them. Let's throw these guys up on the screen. Um, these guys, uh, the Roman culture said, we're going to continue to do what they do and continue to learn the things that they spoke and that they taught. And you may even be familiar with something called the Socratic method of teaching. It's how we teach. It's, it's a, it's, it, it gets away from there just being a master teacher to a master. A, there is a teacher in the room, but as they teach in a Socratic method, that they rely on groups of people to get together to discuss the teaching. Because it's believed that you can learn from the people around you as they're learning. In churches today, we call those small groups or beyond the row. Right, there, was some, there was some real good that came out of the way they did this, but education was a big deal. And they built, um, uh, they built schools all over the world. They were teaching this type of, of Western thought. And uh, we, we see today that if you want to shape culture, if you want to shape culture today like they did then, you do need to shape the schools. And so I, you guys have the University of Wisconsin here, right? That's a significant school. Um, where I'm from, it's uh, UF or University of Florida or FSU. A lot of colleges uh, in Florida, that, Miami, all that. Uh, University of Central Florida is right in Orlando. Huge school. And the great concern and burden that I carry is that What's being taught now in our schools is being seen in our culture. And what's been taught for the last 20 years is being seen in culture because it's an anti-God, anti-religion message. And it shows up everywhere. It's a a very progressive and and very, at times, evil, anti-God rhetoric. And it's in our schools. Why? Because schools shape culture. And that's gone down, not just from the, 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 the universities, but into middle school, high school, and elementary. We're dealing with it in, in a big way in, in, in Florida right now. As a matter of fact, I'm so excited, actually, that you guys have a young adult ministry uh, that's kicking off uh, tomorrow, right, September 11th. If you're a young adult, you need to be around. Get with Dawson here. Uh, because you need the community that's there. And to stay Christian in college right now is an enormous task. It's very difficult. Now, I'm, I'm going a little too long on this. Let's, let's move on to the next one. Religion. There were, religion was all over the Roman culture. Matter of fact, it would be very difficult, I think, for us to fully grasp how, how integrated religion was into everything because there was no separation from religion and state. Uh, there was no separation between religion and business. And so if you went to the magistrate to pay taxes, if you wanted to go to the agora, the place of business, um, you, you would go by a god that you were expected, an idol that you were expected to pay some tribute to. Matter of fact, one, one city that I visited when I was in Turkey, they had a water fountain. It was the only source of water in the village. And the source of that water was an idol through which the water flowed out of their mouth. And so to take water there was to take it from a false god. And so they incorporated it into everything because it shaped culture. Now, um, today, you know, we, well, let me just show you a couple of the idols, actually. This first one here is Artemis or uh, Diana. Uh, which you, you see in Ephesus, and it comes out in the story of the riot that takes place in Ephesus, was more Christians, p- more people were getting saved in Ephesus, and so they quit buying her statue. She's a real looker, right? Nice, nice looking lady. But um, there were silversmiths and others who would make images of her, and, and they couldn't sell them anymore. People weren't buying them because, because Christians were influencing culture so much. And so a riot broke out. Another, here, if you walked around ancient Rome, you would see statues like this, Um, Check out these statues. And they would almost always be elevated. And the reason they were elevated was to remind everybody that the gods were above them. 
So you'd walk around and you would look up and see these statues all over the place, especially in the city squares. All right, let's move on from religion here for a minute. Um, We certainly see religion shaping culture today, but it's not the religion right now of Christianity uh, or Hinduism uh, or Islam. It's, It's the religion of secular humanism. It's the removal of God. And so it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to do business or to be in politics or to influence if you are a person of faith. It's becoming more and more difficult. Now, fourth, fourth leg or fourth pillar we're gonna look at, athletics. Alexander the Great said, if you can control athletics, you can control people. And he, he said the same thing to our fifth pillar, but he believed in athletics. And so almost every Roman city that you'll visit now, uh, the ones that have been excavated, you will find amazing um, athletic fields. Now, they're, they're, they're being excavated now, but what they were at the time, they were usually twice the length of a football field. And uh, in Rome, you see, this is a modern rendering of the Colosseum. Do you think this culture cared about sports? They're building that, something that would take decades to build out of stone. You can go to Rome today and still see the remains of it. Uh, this is a picture of that. Do you think we care about sports today? Well, we tend to build things like this, right? <laughs> Familiar? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about Lambeau Field. <laughs> Please hear me out. What I'm trying to bring to, to attention is that athletics can shape culture. And in Roman culture, to be a great athlete was a way to change your, um, your lot in life. Athletics shaped culture, and they still shape culture today, don't they? Why? Because some of us are wearing shoes that we saw athletes wear. We wear the jerseys our athletes wear. Sometimes we will align ourselves with those, with those athletes' beliefs, and they have platforms to speak into our lives, uh, it, it, which is really, really cool. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm friends with Kirk Cousins, and I'm so proud. I know it might not be Vikings, but he's a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, in his, his series right now on Netflix, he uses the platform of athletics to tell people about the goodness of God, and I'm proud of him. It's an awesome thing. Or the, the fifth platform is this, and then I gotta speed this up, because I, I love talking history, I could talk it all day. Theater and media. This was a huge deal. When you visit sites in Turkey and Israel right now, what you'll see is that every, every real true Roman city would have a theater, and they would look something like this. This is one that's been mostly restored. Very few of them still have that back wall remaining. Um, a lot of the theaters you'd visit won't have that back wall, but stadiums like this could fit anywhere from 12,000 to 20. Yeah, these were massive deals because theater was a huge deal. Is theater still a big deal today? Absolutely it is. We, we built our own, right? This is Broadway. And uh, another huge theater example here, even bigger than that, this is the most recent Taylor Swift concert. Do you, do you think we care about entertainment? Certainly we do. And, and what does entertainment do? Well, media and theater shapes culture. And in, in, in Alexander the Great's culture and Rome's culture, everybody in the area went to the theater, except for the Christians and typically the Jewish people. But everybody went to theater and it was what they all talked about because they've all seen the same thing. We have a thousand streaming services and channels. And the chances are what I watched last night, you didn't watch, right? But, but back then it was what everybody talked about. And so we still leverage that today to try to create cultural moments. Now, this was a well-organized approach to shaping culture today, and the people who are receiving Paul's letter are living in this. They're not just in the Roman Empire. They're in the capital of the Roman Empire, perhaps the most difficult place to live for Jesus because this this message is coming at them from so many different directions. All right, so today I want to answer this question. How do we live and follow the Holy Spirit in our Rome of today? What does that look like? And to do that, we got to turn to Romans chapter 8. 
So get with me here, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're gonna see a lot about living in this passage. Verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have set their minds on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, in the first 17 verses of Romans chapter eight, um, the word spirit or the spirit of God shows up 16 times. And it's almost always associated with life. And so if we wanna live differently, we've gotta be people who know how to do life in the spirit and live a spirit-filled life. And so to give you an example of that today, I brought this stool up here. Now this stool has, uh, it's got uh, three legs. And these three legs are what help this stool to stand. And what we're gonna kind of do this morning quickly is build each one of these legs that create a spiritual life that is healthy and that is stable. And we have to start with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that first leg, all right? And we're gonna kind of have this diagram. If you like taking notes, you can fill that out. If you wanna take pictures, feel free to do that too. But the Holy Spirit is the first most important ingredient that we have in this spiritual life. And we have access to him because of what Jesus did. Jesus says this in John chapter 16, uh, verse seven. He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's a good thing I'm leaving. And if if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You walk on water. How could it be good that you're leaving? But he said, when I leave, I get to send the advocate to you. I was doing some preparation and study for this message. I came across this from Dane Ortland. He wrote a beautiful book called Gentle and Lowly. Highly recommend it. He writes this about the Holy Spirit's job description. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He regenerates us. He convicts us. He empowers us with gifts. He testifies in our hearts that we're God's children. He leads us. He makes us fruitful. He grants and nurtures in us resurrection life. He enables us to kill sin. He intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray, and he guides us into truth. Finally, he transforms us into the image of Christ. How many many of you would you say that that's a really important job description we just read? How many of you know the Holy Spirit's an essential part to being a follower of Jesus Christ? Amen? We have to have him. Jesus knew we had to have him. I'll give you kind of a picture of that. I want to share with you um, a... uh, a really cool experience that I had not that long ago. Um, uh, Orlando is kind of like wakeboarding central. 
And so we have a lot of professional wakeboarders uh, that are around the Orlando area and a few that attend our church. And one of them, his name is Sean Murray. And if you're familiar with that world, Sean is like, like kind of like the godfather of wakeboarding now. He's, 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 he's retired, but he's still the voice of everything. What I'm holding here is actually the Sean Murray helmet. And I'm gonna tell you about that in a minute. But I had done a little coaching with Sean on public speaking. And so he said, well, I wanna take you out in the boat. I said, sure. So we got out there. What I didn't realize was that he was gonna return the favor of coaching and teach me how to wakeboard. Yeah, yeah, I was a little surprised. I was about to get a world-class lesson in wakeboarding. Now, I had done a little bit of wakeboarding before, but it was not very successful. I wouldn't say that I was a great wakeboarder by any stretch, very, very mediocre. But um, Sean started by telling me, like, listen, Ben, we gotta work on your posture because when you stand on a wakeboard, it's different than when you stand um, on, and just on your own. And the most important thing you have to remember is to keep your shoulders back and your arms loose and just hold onto the rope and let it pull you. He goes, and he used this language, you have to keep the upper part of your body connected to the lower part. He said, now what, what a lot of rookies are tempted to do is when the boat's pulling them, that they start to use their arm strength and they start to pull on the rope. And as soon as that happens, as soon as the rope starts pulling you forward, you don't stay back, or you start pulling yourself forward, your shoulders go forward, and then you fall because you became disconnected. See, so you're gonna hear me say it quite a bit to stay connected. And when I say stay connected, I want you to return to this posture again. Hold on to the rope without pulling on it. You know, get your chest up and your shoulders back and connect yourself to the lower part of your body. So I get out in the water, and he, he sets me up, and he says, I want you to put this on. I have to admit, I felt a little silly that he was putting a helmet on me uh, to, do, to do wakeboarding. But I was like, what is this? And he's like, well, this is, the, this is actually, it's one of my helmets. It's the Sean Murray helmet. I said, okay, you have your own helmet. That's amazing. Um, this helmet has a transmitter on it right here. The camera can catch that. There's a transmitter on it, which would allow me to hear him as he was talking to me from the boat and in a microphone that allowed me to speak to him. And so when he puts this on me, I'm like, this is incredible. And he said, can you hear me? And I'm like, I can hear you really well. This is incredible. And so uh, he helps me get right up on the board, first try, uh, which, I, which was not normally the case for me, but it's, it's his coaching in my ear. And then as we're going around the water, um, I would start to disconnect. There would be times we'd go around a curve and I'd start to use my arms and try to use my strength to make things happen. He's like, you can't use your own strength. You've got to let the rope be the rope. And he'd say, get connected, Ben. You're losing connection. Stay connected. And I'd pull my shoulders back and stick my chest up. And I would continue to go on. And so I'm standing up on the board longer than I ever have. He goes, all right, well, I want to teach you something else now. I want to teach you how to do this one-handed. I was like, that's not going to happen. Right? I was like, no way. But then he says, no, no, no. I want you just to let your arms slowly drop down. And as soon as I did, my shoulders started going forward. I started pulling. He's like, stay connected. And I pulled it back up. Now, let me tell you my experience in wakeboarding before. If I got up on the board, eventually I would fall. And then the boat would do a long loop and come back around. And the person in the boat coaching me would say, what do you think you did wrong? He'd yell at me. And then, and then I'd say, oh, I think I did this. He's like, you're wrong. You did this. You know? And we would talk about it that way. But now I have a master coach in my ear telling me in the moment how to succeed, how to do life the right way, how to, how to wakeboard the right way. And I think this is the way that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. I did things in the water that day I'd never done before. Matter of fact, by the end of our lesson, this is what Sean Murray had me doing. I want you to check this video out. Yeah, pretty amazing, right? That was totally Sean Murray, not me. <laughs> You're like, you grew your hair out. No. 
that was Sean Murray, and he's amazing. And that was one of the more uh, like lesser ones that he did. I have an actual highlight reel of what I normally look like when I wakeboard. So let's check that out. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That's how it normally goes for me: is is me falling down over and over again. But with that helmet on, I was empowered. The Holy Spirit does this for us. That's the way the Holy Spirit can speak to us in our life. That's the way I strive to have the Holy Spirit speak to me and that he can speak to you is that he is the master trainer, the master educator. He's the one that leads and guides us into truth. He can point out when we're getting off track, right? And he can help us to get back on track. He can tell us when we're disconnecting. And if we're willing to listen, we can hear his voice like that. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit. Now, the second leg that I wanna get at here, guys, is what I would call empowered effort. And I won't talk about this very long, but I think it's, it's a really important piece, is that you won't be able to live differently in Rome. You won't be able to live the spirit-filled life without a little bit of effort. Your Bible does not crawl up into your lap and say, read me. You, know, they, you don't just get like warning or, or, or flashes in your home that say, it's time to pray. You have to put in some effort, and sometimes that's like a dirty word in churches. Don't people to, tell people to put in more effort and strive harder. I'm not talking about a white-knuckled effort to become holy. I'm talking about listening to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you and allowing him to empower your efforts. When you allow the Holy Spirit to help you, then on the days that you're not feeling it, he can help you to feel it. The days that you're, you're, you're not confident, he can help you to do that chair time. I see this all the time when people begin to serve. Like if you want to discover your gifts and your God's kingdom purpose for your life, you're not going to do that doing nothing. You have to sign up and serve. And so we have people who come to our church and they're new believers and uh, they'll say, what do we do? And I'm like, well, start serving somewhere. Well, I'm a new believer. What does that mean? I'm, I don't greet people. Can you smile? And they start greeting people. They become ushers. They work security. Um, they, 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 they get involved. And what I've seen happen is, is they put that effort in and God empowers it. Then he opens another door to serve. And then as, he's, as they're doing this service unto the Lord, God begins to show them what they're good at, what their gifts are, and how they can bring that to the kingdom and have a real true kingdom impact. Because it's, it's like if you're playing a game, if you're a gamer, it's like you unlock new levels. And I do things now in my chair time with the Lord that I didn't do when I first came to know Jesus. When I first came to know Jesus, it was learn how to study and read your Bible. And as I begin to do that, then I learned how to recognize his voice. And I can tell you, as I learned how to recognize his voice, I begin to learn how to love him and to trust him. Why? Because my effort was empowered by the Holy Spirit and it unlocked new things in my life. You've got to put effort in. All right, so that's the second leg. What's the third leg? And this is really important. I'm going to wrap up the rest of our time around this leg. The third leg is empowered community. We need people around us who can empower us. We can't do life without them. We need people who will speak to us, encourage us, um, call out our giftedness, hold us accountable, show us grace, tell us the truth. These people need to be in our life. And so you see over and over and over again in scripture, it's brought up. And in Romans uh, eight sixteen, it says this, that the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. We're a part of a family. And if we're doing life on isolation, that's a mistake. We, 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 we lose our perspective. We lose the protection that a community offers. And it's an old example, but if you had a, a group of hot charcoal pieces inside of a grill and you reached in with tongs and you pulled out the hottest coal in there, 
Let's say this thing's been going for an hour and the coals are hot. You pulled out the hottest coal in there. If you set it by itself, it will get cold much, much sooner than these that that are all together. They'll remain hot for a long time and productive. But when you do life in isolation, you're like that coal that's putting yourself out on your own. You no longer get the benefit of the heat and the energy of other people. We see this in Acts chapter 2, 42, 44, and 46. This is right after the Holy Spirit shows up and the church is born. Listen to all of the, the, the togetherness here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. To the breaking of bread, which, come on, we like to eat together, don't we? And to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Does this sound like a social club? No. This was a deep, meaningful community. I think all of us can probably find a group of people about which we could, around which we could have like a one-inch conversation about football or the weather or our kids, and it just stays here, shallow. But if you're willing to commit yourself to a community where those conversations can go deeper where you open yourself up and be vulnerable. And it takes work, it takes effort. But if you're willing to bring yourself into that place, you will become someone you could not have become without them. Because they will teach you what it is to experience grace and truth. There's a guy named Dr. Glenn Packham, and I love the way he writes this. He's an author, and he writes this. We need sages to advise us. We we all need leaders to direct us or hold us accountable. We need peers to remind us that we aren't alone, healers to dress our wounds, and companions who carry us when we can't carry on. If you just went through the New Testament and you looked for these two words being together, one another, you'd find it over 50 times. The most common one is love one another, which is so important, but the expression of that comes out in a lot of ways. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you can be healed. Carry one another's burdens. I think sometimes we don't realize how much better we are when we get to help carry somebody's burden. Man, I mean, it is so fulfilling when God helps you to come alongside a brother or a sister in Christ and say, can I help you with that? We feel like our whole life is on mission. It's fulfilling, it's meaningful, it's deep. If we do life without that, then we're missing out. So I'm gonna bring you back to the chair here because we've built it, all right? We've got these three legs, okay? We've got empowered community, we've got empowered efforts, and we've got the Holy Spirit. Now I've got another chair here I wanna show you what, what is, and ask the question, what does life look like without just one of these? Well, we got a, a two-legged stool here. You know, if, if I'm doing life without empowered community, I can tell you what I'm missing, I'm missing perspective, someone to tell me when I'm lying to myself. I'm missing protection, I'm missing protection because that leg's missing. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, wow, it's it's a little unstable. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't have power. I don't have power over sin. If I'm missing empowered efforts and going after it, then I'm, I'm missing out on purpose and impact. These are things that we miss out on. Now, I'm able to hold this pretty well right now, I'm doing okay. And I'm I'm balancing it all right, but as soon as I just start to move a little bit and that that leg moves, then my other leg's gotta move. And I could, for the first time in my ministry career, fall down on stage in front of a group of people. This is uncomfortable. It's more difficult than it needs to be. And it's not sustainable. 
it's not sustainable. I can try for a little while, but a good strong wind or what we just call a trial in life is gonna knock me over. And I believe that some of us here today are sitting on a stool just like this. We've built our life on one or two of these things. Maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe it's community. Maybe you're somebody who just thinks, I just need me and Jesus, I don't need others. You're missing a leg and it's not sustainable and it's gonna cost you because we need people and we need to put in the effort and we need the Holy Spirit and without any one of them, we're not gonna do life in Rome the way God wants us to do it. We're gonna unpack that idea more in the coming weeks but it starts with this, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? He makes all the difference. He empowers our effort, he empowers our community. There are some here today who are doing life without him. And so I just wanna bring us to two questions. And uh, as I ask them, I wanna invite you to close your eyes. This is just gonna be a moment of reflection for us. And I, I simply wanna ask two questions. One, are you sitting on a two-legged stool? Is that you? Is that your life? Is that the life that you've built? Because it doesn't have to be. And the second question I just wanna invite you to sit with for a moment is which of these areas of spiritual life is the Holy Spirit inviting you to grow in? Which of these areas is the Holy Spirit right now beginning to pull on your heart, he's in your thoughts, he's speaking to you. You may not even be familiar with what that feels like, but you know something's missing. And right now he can speak to you about what that is. I wanna pray over you just here as, as you reflect. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We know that the Spirit of God is wherever two people have gathered in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you're here with us right now. And what I pray is that in this, this moment, that each one of us would open our hearts, we'd surrender our wills, we'd open our minds to what you have to say to us right here in this space, right here in this moment. Come speak to us. We're willing to listen. We wanna hear Thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name, amen. There's so many great resources here and you're gonna hear about some of them soon, but I just encourage you, if you don't know how to do chair time, let Pathways Church teach you how to do it. All right? If you don't know how to, do, um, uh, how to be in a group, we've got groups here called Beyond the Row. Join a group, be involved, be a part of it. These are steps you can take today and we're gonna tell you more about that in just a minute. But I would be remiss if I didn't take time just to, to offer this invitation. The person that kind of puts the helmet on, that gives us the ability to hear the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus, it's Christ alone, it's what he did on the cross. And if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, that's something you can do today. You can make that decision on your own, right here and right now. And it means a surrendering of your will, it means confessing your faith and trusting God with all of your sin that he'll forgive you asking him to do that, and, and your life can change. So I just wanna take a moment here and invite everybody in the room to pray with me. And uh, if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, you can do that today, and when we're done, I hope that you will come find me on the front row, because I wanna know, okay? And you can do this watching online at home as well. But if you would, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the cross. And pray with me, Jesus, thank you for the cross for your great love for us, that you were willing to die for us, 
to pay the price for our sins. So right now, I give to you my sin. I confess to you the mistakes and the sins I've made. And I ask that you would forgive me. Because I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you not only died on the cross, but that you rose again three days later so that I could have life. So I place my life in your hands. From this day forward, you're my Lord and you're my leader. And I will follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.